This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Kenyan Wall Street Podcast. My name is Ali Mwakaneno Gakweli, your usual host. So this segment is the CEO chat segment in partnership with the Kenya Bankers Association. And today we want to talk to David Mukaro, who is the CEO of Caritas Microfinance Bank. Um, David was earlier talking about the strategies of en- enhancing SME and household access to credit. Mm-hmm. And we want to continue with that conversation. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you very much, Ali. And thank you for inviting me here. Really pleased to talk about the microfinance segment. Always welcome. So uh, just to start right on, uh, from where you sit, how can small and micro enterprises position themselves to better access credit from microfinance banks? And this is specifically looking at... um, SMEs without collateral? Let me start by saying that uh, uh, micro small enterprises in Kenya are very significant in terms of uh, contribution to employment of our youth, in terms of contribution to our GDP. Uh, The micro and small and and medium enterprises are extremely uh, important. Uh, to just put it into perspective, we have about uh, 10 million uh, micro, small, and medium enterprises. Uh, 8.5 million of those uh, enterprises are what we consider as uh, informal informal enterprises. They they are not registered. Uh, they have no license. Uh, they are your usual uh, small, really, really micro micro businesses. You know, Mamboga there. A uh, green grocer outside uh, a shop, a, a small retailer on the ground. There are quite a number, 8.5 million out of the 10 million. And uh, it's for the microfinance bank now to really look at that as a challenge uh, because a country will never develop with that kind of informality of uh, conducting business. For us to develop this country, we must be able to ensure that as many as possible of our micro enterprises get into a more formalized structure because at that level now they are more recognizable, they have a bank account, they have a license, so they are contributing to the GDP and the revenues of this country. They can be seen, they can be felt, and they also start feeling uh, that they are part and parcel of uh, the business fraternity in this in this country. So 8.5 million, a whole 84 percent, is very significant. Uh, what we consider as a formal microfinance institution are about 14%. That's about 1.4 million uh, in this country. So the 1.4 million uh, businesses now need to really uh, start focusing on product development. Uh, They need to start uh, focusing on expanding their businesses. If they are based in the rural areas, they need to now start focusing on value, value addition in terms of really positioning themselves for the microfinance banks in this in this country. Yeah. At, at a small enterprise level where we have a, a small, very, very small percentage of our businesses are what you consider as a small. And these are, that's about 1.1%. 
these are about 111,000 businesses are what you consider as a small employing about 10 to 49 people. At that level now, these are businesses that have identified an opportunity and uh, they're probably now focusing on that opportunity, building the marketing structure around that, that opportunity and really adding a lot of value along, along that opportunity. So for MSMEs to really position themselves uh, better to the microfinance banks, is for them really to look at themselves internally and start focusing on uh, being very good in uh, specific areas of business uh, and really uh, growing that business, keeping records, uh, opening a bank account and uh, start transacting in that uh, bank account, start building a relationship, uh, attend uh, trainings. Now trainings online on how to do business are quite uh, a number and really get into business clubs, uh, be members of business clubs, form uh, what we call business uh, networks, because your network is uh, what you consider as your network. If you do not have a network, you, your network from uh, the marketing perspective is very limited. So I, I really want to urge the micro, small and medium enterprises to really focus on those key areas and also develop uh, strong financial uh, management uh, skills. They don't have to be CPAKs, uh, but they just need to attend the basic financial literacy programs. You know, how do I borrow? How do I save? What kind of savings product is good for me? Where do I invest with my, when I invest? Right. How do I differentiate between a good loan and a bad loan? So you find that uh, there are those basic things that uh, the MSMEs should be able to start getting into practice. And uh, for sure, their businesses will grow and for sure they'll be very, very attractive uh, to, the, to the microfinance uh, banking sector. You know, you've raised some really, really powerful points with regards to some of the tools that would allow um, banks especially to um, make it easier to lend to small businesses, including the, the data gap, which is something that I'd gladly talk about as the interview proceeds. Um, something that came up in, in the conversation, of course, was the different types of small businesses. And maybe I'd like us to draw a, a distinction. What are some of the characteristics of SMEs and how do we differentiate them from small business enterprises? Ali, I can tell you there's been a very big debate, uh, not just here in Kenya, but across the world, on uh, how do you differentiate the micro, the small, and the medium, the medium enterprises. And the reason is because uh, every country is uh, unique. Every region is actually, is actually uh, unique. And uh, how do you categorize businesses? You'll have to use so many indicators for you to really say uh, this business is in, in, is in this category. However, uh, the, the Kenya government, uh, through its various uh, authorities on the ground, have been able to clearly uh, differentiate uh, what we call the MSMEs on the, on the ground. And uh, MSME now, the first M standing for micro, then uh, small enterprises and medium and medium enterprises. I've, I've just mentioned that slightly. But the main differentiator is on the basis of employment. And that is what the Kenya government has actually been, been using. That uh, at the informal level, what we call the informal micro level, the unregistered uh, the informal micro enterprises, you find that uh, they hardly employ anybody. So it's the owner who is uh, running with that, uh, with, with that business. So in terms of employment, even the 8.5 million businesses 
I mentioned are under informal micro enterprises. They actually don't have employees. And if they do, probably it's the son or the daughter who is left in the shop or who is left running the, the business concern. So they actually, and th- those are temporary uh, temporary measures. Mostly it's the owner who is uh, who is uh, the manager at the same at the same time. The formal micro micro enterprises are uh, considered those which employ between one and uh, nine and nine people, and that's how they actually uh, differentiated, with a turnover of about five hundred thousand. And the micro and uh, small enterprise act is very clear on that. Many people will argue and say oh, that uh, that threshold is very low, but remember that this definition has been has taken into account the level of informality in this uh, in this country. And has tried to really uh, look at how do we categorize uh, these uh, micro enterprises without leaving out the informal the informal sector. Uh, so the formal micro enterprises one to nine employees, and uh, they have a turnover of less than five hundred thousand. What we consider as the small enterprises uh, in this country, the turnover is above five hundred thousand uh, up to about five uh, five million, and they employ about. Uh, 10 to 49 uh, employees. Uh, so you find this a small industry, it's a, so probably a small concern, a farm that employs uh, X number of uh, laborers and uh, technical, technical staff. That's where they fall, a packaging uh, structure, a warehouse uh, that is uh, doing uh, quite an amount of work in uh, the industrial area. So th- those are what you consider as, as a small, uh, small enterprises. In terms of medium enterprises, you'll find that uh, the medium enterprises will employ between 50 and 99 uh, employees. So labor as a measure of uh, size of uh, business has been used by the Kenya government uh, very strongly. And the secondary part, uh, the secondary definition has been the turnover. But uh, there are many ways you can actually be able to, you can actually be able to categorize these, uh, these institutions. You can lose, use technology. Yeah, how technology savvy, how technology investments are. You, you can use uh, the amount of uh, fixed assets. There are many different ways you can be able to differentiate the micro, small, and medium uh, enterprises, including the large and the regional and the regional businesses. But the Kenya government has been very, very uh, categorical in terms of defining them in that way. That way, they're able now to focus uh, the kind of uh, support that the microfinance banks can be able to, can be able to give and I usually say the microfinance banks should be able to focus on the 8.5 million informal micro enterprises and the micro enterprises who are about 1.4 million and to a large extent, the small enterprises. And I usually tell people to visualize and picture. What if we grow our 8.5 million informal micro enterprises to what we consider as small enterprises? That will be a transformational strategy that if it is uh, executed, we'll be able to change this country uh, forever. You know, I'm, I'm happy you actually talked about um, the, the, the secondary sort of um, demarcations that differentiate between small businesses, micro enterprises and medium enterprises. And um, I'd like to focus on the turnover here. Um, just merging your first answer and, and your second answer, one of the challenges that there is is the data gap in terms of formalizing the finances of small businesses, if you will. You know, proper record keeping when it comes to to sales, the line between finances belonging to um, the business and finances belonging to the family, especially when it comes to small businesses. And you know, with 
other uncertainties like the COVID-19 have made um, lending to SMEs very, very high risk. What are some of the measures that uh, microfinance institutions have taken to protect themselves from a the informal nature, rather risks that emanate from the informal nature of um, MSMEs, as well as other emerging trends like the COVID-19? The reason microfinance institutions and microfinance banks in this country uh, established themselves and were allowed to establish was to target what we consider, what we used to call the, the informal sector and uh, with a view of growing that, uh, that informal sector. So since 19, uh, early 1990s, the microfinance institutions and microfinance banks have developed tools to be able to manage the risks involved in, uh, in this kind of uh, segment. Tool number one was uh, to just putting the, the entrepreneurs in, uh, in uh, small groups, in smaller groups, and uh, training them, you know, walking them through uh, some basic business training uh, to ensure that they are able to start and manage their own, uh, their own businesses. Training reduces risks significantly. Uh, business training, financial education training reduces business risks uh, effectively. Why? Because uh, entrepreneurs are able to make financial decisions based on the training they have actually received. Many businesses fall or collapse or die because of wrong decisions that they are actually making. And these are wrong financial decisions and wrong business decisions. So to train our entrepreneurs to make the right decisions has been one of the highest risk mitigants that the microfinance banks have, uh, have used. Putting people in groups and also now using what we call social collateral. Uh, you do not have uh, what we call a collateral. You don't have a piece of land that has a title deed, which is what majority of the lenders were actually using at, uh, at a certain time. So we developed alternative collateral which was a group that of people that know you. People who will say, I know David Mokaru, I know where he stays, I know the kind of business he has, I know his uh, grandfather, great-grandmother, I know this person, and I can be able to vouch that he is a person of uh, uh, good standing in the, in the society. So uh, social collateral was uh, the other aspect that uh, we've been using to manage our, our risks. The third, uh, the third uh, risk, uh, uh, risk management uh, strategy we've been using is appraisal. And remember, we are appraising in an informal and a micro-enterprise uh, segment where record-keeping is uh, not as uh, good as uh, it should be. So we have developed specific skills and, and pulled our officers to be able to construct uh, and make sense out of the fina financial information they get from uh, our, our entrepreneurs. And we've been able to make pretty good decisions around, around, uh, around that and just making sure that the, the, our clients are able to pay and the loans they borrow will not affect them uh, in, a negative, in a negative way. So appraisal of, uh, to just show ability and to see where the cash is and using that cash flow into their bank account as a, a collateral that will enable them to get a loan facility from uh, the banks. The fifth mitigation strategy has been to encourage our MSMEs not to over-rely on borrowings, that they can actually also start saving. 
Yeah, they can save and they can utilize their saving to grow their businesses because business take time to grow. So as businesses grow, they also we also now um, give them facilities, enable them to access uh, deposits uh, or savings facilities that will now ensure that they they keep some money aside as they as they trade on a daily basis. They keep some money aside that they can be able to use to grow their to grow their future their future business. That way, they actually also manage the risks, the internal risks at the same at the same time. Uh, so we have various uh, ways that we've been uh, using. Definitely, we also have policies that guide these institutions that tell us uh, what it is we can be able to do and what is it that we cannot be able to do. For instance, we need to manage the risks or the environmental the environmental risks. There are businesses that we cannot be able to we cannot be able to fund because they have the environment, you know, growing of uh, cannabis sativa, uh, running a brothel, or uh, that you you find that there are those internal internal risks mitigation strategies that the banks, uh, the microfinance banks also have because we do not want to encourage uh, businesses that will harm the environment. You know, burning charcoal, cutting down of trees uh, in a, without a license. There are those type of businesses that we actually consider as high risks because they harm the environment, and we have to be we have to be one with the environment. David, when you started answering this question, you one of the things that you mentioned was that part of the original mandate of microfinance banks was partner with SMEs, and um, just building upon um, what you said with regards to appraisal as being one of the key mitigations towards. Um, solving or rather solving the information gap or rather the data gap that we have among the small businesses. What are some of the other challenges, you know, in the sector? Because in as much as we have such measures in place, the uptake of uh, products from microfinance and the public awareness, I'm sure we could agree, could do better. What are some of the challenges encountered when it comes to lending to SMEs? And what could or rather, what solutions would you suggest? I want to think that, uh, and which is what I have seen on the ground, as uh, one of the biggest challenges in lending to SMEs. First and foremost is the SMEs themselves. Uh, we, they need to believe in what they do. And they need to do it with a passion. Uh, they need to focus on that, uh, on that business and be able to do it with passion and be able to grow it. Many times, you'll find that uh, an SME will, uh, will, will approach you. They want to borrow. But uh, part of our appraisal is, is to just ask how, how that business is, how the last 10 years you've been in, uh, in that business, how is it doing? And uh, we expect the SME to really, really come out very, very passionately and be able to talk about the business that they actually they actually do. Majority of the people you'll find uh, are in uh, business probably because there is nothing else. They they, they they are not employed, you know. So it's like uh, you are there to survive, and uh, just past that particular day, survive. So you borrow small amounts of money. So in terms of planning, to just be able to say what I want to say, majority of the small medium enterprises will not come to you with a concrete plan, you know a concrete plan, something that they've really uh, thought about, that this is what I actually want to do. This is where I want to take my, my business. And there are very few. 
And the ones that actually are able to articulate their plans, articulate what they really need to do, articulate the challenges they are going through and how they are going to address those challenges, articulate the amount of money that they actually want to borrow and why and the purpose and what the outcome they expect out of that borrowing is. The ones that come in that format, we are able to serve them very, very fast. Majority are the ones that will come, they want a loan, but when you probe and you want to find out exactly uh, why that amount and uh, not this amount, do they, do they have a plan around that amount? So you, you find that uh, we really, really need to, to focus our businesses uh, on planning first before they come to board. You know, even if it's a simple plan, just understanding you have a current business and what you want to do, a simple plan that you're able to articulate to your banker and then your banker is able to, to understand it. The second thing is how uh, the, the source of payment, uh, how, will, how will you pay this, uh, this, this loan? You know, uh, and, and that's also speaking to the plan because if you really, really have a, a, a good plan, you'll also ask yourself, how will I pay this loan? Uh, so you find that uh, in terms of the understanding the business and uh, putting it into perspective that the bankers will be able to appreciate is a significant uh, challenge. Uh, definitely, there are issues to do with the government. Uh, there are issues to do with uh, policies around majority of, uh, of uh, the partnerships uh, we have. And uh, there are issues to do with the cost of funds that uh, microfinance banks also access, which ends up into uh, making our loans very, very expensive. There are issues to do with the environment itself in terms of... Uh, non-performing loans. When you look at this country over the period, the non-performing loans have been increasing significantly. And this is a significant challenge that we face. And uh, when you look at even the CRB uh, reports that we are actually getting, we now have uh, quite a number of people listed in there uh, having been unable to pay. And one of the main reasons, uh, particularly 2020 and 2021, has been the COVID-19 pandemic. And the COVID-19 pandemic has really affected most of the businesses uh, in terms of uh, the market itself, uh, moving goods from one point to another, the, the locking that we've, uh, we've experienced over the period, uh, shut down the service industry. Uh, and uh, you, you can see the unemployment has uh, shot up and uh, insecurity has increased. So even the, the micro-entrepreneurs also losing their goods in terms of uh, in terms of the business they have they have established. So you find that uh, there are significant challenges around uh, businesses uh, right now. But as uh, microfinance banks, our role now is to uh, bring back those businesses back into the economy, uh, develop their resilience uh, to manage this kind of pandemics, this kind of shocks going uh, forward. And what we have done is most of our, of our micro entrepreneurs. We gave them moratorium periods. Yeah, we restructured their facilities. We've trained them more. We've reduced uh, some of the rates. We reduced some of the cost for our business people. And uh, we will continue doing that. We are refinancing. Majority of our clients have also lost their working capital because of uh, the, the time it took for the economy to, to bounce back. Uh, so you, you find that we are refinancing most of those businesses as you go to just be able to address the challenges they actually face Away from the different mitigations which um, microfinance institutions are taking just to improve lending towards small businesses especially, 
where is the place of customer experience and automation in driving the whole agenda of improving access to credit for both households and small businesses? Uh, I can tell you only the two are interlinked and uh, are very critical. And uh, I would say they they are actually the cornerstone of uh, of what we are actually doing. Uh, first and foremost is customer ex- customer experience, customer focus. We need to focus on the right people. The micro, uh, both formal and informal, uh, small and medium uh, medium enterprises. These are the engines of transformation of this country. So, in terms of uh, really ensuring that uh, they are up and running. Uh, our mandate as microfinance institutions is to ensure that they access financial financial services, uh, the four levels financial services, deposits uh, or savings. Uh, secondly, in terms of transactions, how do we make them uh, transact better in a in a more in a, in a, in a, in, a, in a faster way, uh, in a better way? How do we ensure that they transact from where they are? Uh, how do we ensure that we reduce the cost of uh, transaction to them? Uh, thirdly, is the issue of uh, bank assurance as they grow their wealth. How do we ensure that we protect the wealth that they have actually created? And uh, lastly, the last uh, item is how do we ensure that they have access to loans uh, in terms of uh, in terms of growing growing their their businesses? So, in terms of ensuring that they access the four the four types of uh, financial financial services, uh, that is what I would call customer experience. If you are able to access, if you are able to uh, get all that uh, in, a, in, in, in a city, in a financial institution, in a microfinance bank, then and you access it in a way that uh, it's not expensive for you, you access it through a platform that uh, you can be able to utilize from where you are, or you access it through official bank officers that are smiling and that are readily available to respond to your uh, to your to your queries then that is truly customer experience because customer experience is how you make uh, your customers feel how you make the msme feel do you make them feel that what they are doing is very very important and they need to do more of it do you make them feel that they are part and parcel of an, an ecosystem in a country that the micro uh, informal uh, segment is as important as the large enterprises in this country? Do we make them feel like that? That is what customer service is all about. And we must ensure that when we are dealing with the micro enterprises, uh, be they formalized or informal, they must experience positive customer experience and automation plays a key role. That they are so busy, really focusing on their businesses, waking up at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. to go to Nyamakema market, come back again and uh, sell their wares all the way up to 9 o'clock. They have no time to go to the bank. Uh, So the structure that we build around them through automation should be able to enable them to continue doing their businesses, growing their businesses, but at the same time accessing financial uh, services. So the strategies around those two components are very critical for the microfinance banks in this country. And that is what we do, and that is our mandate. We will continue uh, doing that and ensuring that our customers are able to have that uh, positive customer experience and are also able to, using automation uh, processes and everything else, are able to uh, get financial services, just like any other uh, Kenyan out there. Um, Last question as as we wrap the interview, of course, David. 
Um, earlier you talked about data and information in general. What do you think is the role of uh, big data in the formulation and implementation of formalizing, rather the formalization of rural economies in Kenya? Big data is, uh, is everything. Uh, going forward, uh, we are uh, not just going forward, even historically, data has been used uh, to be able to make significant uh, decisions. Uh, the concept of big data uh, that is uh, that has been used uh, uh, recently clearly says that in the rural economy there is data all over. But how do we now ensure that we put that data, we convert that data and make sense out of it? And that now is the principle of uh, big data and what it is that we need to do with it. Uh, and value chain, uh, value chain partnerships is uh, a critical component. That if we are talking about, for instance, avocado as a, as a value chain, that we need to know the farmer on the ground. Uh, how many avocado trees uh, do, they, do they have? When were they planted? What type of avocado species do they, do they have on the ground? When are they like to start being uh, harvested? What challenges are they going through? What kind of uh, pests is attacking the avocado tree? That is data that is sitting somewhere. And somebody actually has it. An agronomist on the ground has it. So how do I use it as a banker to be able to make uh, financial decisions? That is what big data is, is all about. That the buyer who buys and delivers them to Kakuzi also have a significant data on the number of customers in a certain given location who are growing uh, X number of trees of uh, avocado. That, what we call broker uh, in Kenya, has a lot of data. Who is putting that data together? Who is using that data that is being housed by our good uh, broker on the ground? Then at Kakuzi, there is uh, the data they actually receive. How much good avocado do they receive? How much do they throw away? Uh, how, what quality of avocado is coming from uh, X place? Uh, how many categories of avocado are being grown in Kenya. That information and many other information is all over. Uh, so what I am saying is that big data is critical. And the sooner we, we put it together and we start harnessing it, we will be able to make the right decisions all the way to the country level, how much export we can be able to do in X number of uh, years. So that when we approach China with its huge appetite of uh, avocado, we can be clear that we actually are sure of how much avocado uh, we have in this uh, country. And us as bankers, we can be sure of how much land is on the ground and we can be able to facilitate and finance our farmers to be able to increase the number of uh, avocado trees. And avocado is just an example I have uh, given. Just wanted to talk about how, what big data can be able to uh, tell us as uh, bankers, tell us as exporters, tell us as importers. So the, the importance of big data cannot be uh, underestimated. And uh, this is an area that uh, our youth uh, need to really, really come in and play into and be able to, to, to look at the value chains and see how they can be able to bring, to bring together all that data uh, for it now to, uh, to be consumed by the, various, uh, by the various players. So formulation and implementation of those strategies uh, will be seamless if we are able to harness the power of uh, big data uh, in this country. The Minister for ICT, these are issues that uh, I know they've been tackling uh, with the various uh, players in the industry. And we can say from a microfinance perspective, this is data that uh, we'll definitely need and we continuously use going forward.
thank you so much for answering that, David. I think that is all I had for today. Uh, thank you so much for creating time to have this conversation. To our listeners, that was David Mukaru, the CEO of Caritas Microfinance Bank. And uh, David was earlier live on uh, the CEO chat hosted by the Kenya Bankers Association. Um, if you want to catch up with um, more CEOs of, of more banks in Kenya holding conversations on that platform, feel free to join chat.kba.co.ke um, where you will find more CEOs uh, talking about how to support specifically small businesses during this era of COVID-19. Thank you so much for joining this call, David, and see you next time. Thank you very much, Ali, and all the best. And thank you for inviting me. I just want to appreciate everybody who has been listening into this and encourage everybody to get into a small business, uh, grow it very, very well. The economy and the future of this country lies in your hands. Thank you very much.